Ben, the Vikings just wrapped up their first draft class under Kwesi Adolfo Mensa. 10 draft picks, many of them addressing the defense, many of them involving their division rivals in Green Bay and Detroit, who traded up to take a receiver each with the Vikings picks that they sent out of town to gain more assets. So we're going to talk about that first off, but we'll get to the entire draft class, especially with how it took shape in the secondary um, and guys who can cover, basically, whether it was the linebacker they took in the third round, the corner they took in the second or the safety they took in the first. But it was a very busy, active draft for Quasi. Some people thought, is Rick Spielman still in there? <laughs> is Trader Rick still in there? Uh, one thing, though, I don't think we saw Trader Rick do very often was deal his pick to a division rival. And Ben, you wrote about this for Sunday's paper in the Star Tribune, and I think that's just the headline off of this draft is, if Jamison Williams with the Detroit Lions, if Christian Watson with uh, the Green Bay Packers, Whenever, if ever, either of them score against the Vikings, that's going to be the first thing that pops up in mind is, hey, you guys helped make this possible. So what did Quasey have to say when asked about doing these deals and what were your impressions of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I asked him straight up, like, you are going to be remembered for this, these two moves. You are going to be, this draft is going to be remembered for the fact that you traded with the Lions and the Packers and they knowing that they were going to get receivers. Um, how do you feel about that? And he, he basically said, it, look, they could have traded with other people. Um, they, they could have gone and gotten the same deal probably from the team right behind us. So knowing that if they're going to do that anyway, why don't we end up being the ones that get the benefit of it? If we feel good about trading down now, I mean, you, you could cut that both ways, I suppose. I, I think there were, and the Lions, I think all the charts would say the Lions won the deal, at least in terms of picks. Most, I think, of the charts say the Vikings won the deal with the Packers. And the Packers gave up a lot to go up and get Christian Watson. I think there was – I that one I felt like you could have, if you're the Packers, maybe waited and seen if he had fallen a little ways. And obviously they thought they needed to go get him there. But that felt like a steep price to pay given the fact that you are effectively using the Devontae Adams compensation to go get him, or at least part of the Devontae Adams compensation to go get him. And, and uh, Aaron Rodgers does not tend to warm quickly to rookie receivers. So that, that one I thought was a little fishy, but I, mean, I think overall the takeaway from this, and this is what I wrote in the paper tomorrow is that, Everybody reacted to these deals on Twitter, whether it was media, whether it was fans with this, what you don't trade with division rivals, almost like it's this cardinal rule that they violated. And it's, how could you do this? This is the stupidest thing ever. I don't think, I mean, I think we saw that he doesn't look at it that way. These sort of axioms that have become almost these hard and fast football rules. He looks at it and says, well, well, why is that? Everybody says I shouldn't do this. Well, why is there, reason to think I shouldn't do this or is this just something that's become conventional wisdom for so long that you stay away from it and, and NFL teams are incredibly risk averse and probably less so in the last five to ten years than traditionally but whether it's everything from divulging specific injury information to going forward on fourth down to doing things like trading in your division there's this well no you can't take the risk because if you do you might screw everything up well you might 
you might have also just fleeced your biggest rival in a trade that maybe helped you get something that you need for the future. And maybe the receiver doesn't work out. It, that's a, that's a possibility as well. The assumption that anytime you do something risky, it's going to blow up in your face is not factual that you have to, you have to put this on a, a spectrum just like you do with any other risk. And I, that's where he's coming from with it. I think is it was a revelation in terms of how much, his background is informing the decisions they make because he is, I'm sure looking at this and saying, well, there's a risk here. We assign it value X. There's a reward here that we assign another, another variable and let's measure all of this and see which one comes out. It's not this idea that, well, if you're going to take that risk, you have violated the cardinal rule of NFL front office management. It's there's a risk. Let's consider it. Let's consider all the other stuff and put it all in the blender and see what comes out. Congrats on the new job at Compere Financial. Thanks. It's refreshing to work for a company that gives back. We even get paid time off to volunteer. That's so cool. How are the benefits? Amazing. They have lots of growth and educational opportunities and even provide up to a 9% 401k matching contribution. Wow. They must really care about investing in your future. They do. And with their flexible work environment, I know I'm going to love being a part of Team Compere. To learn more about a career at Compere Financial, visit Compere.com slash careers. Compere is an equal opportunity employer and provider. And it's not too rare to see teams trade within the division, especially on draft day. We saw last year um, the Eagles traded up two spots with the Cowboys to take Devonta Smith, 10th overall. Cowboys fell back to 12, took Micah Parsons. Um, it feels like there's one of these or two of these examples maybe every or every other year. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, for Minnesota to do it and for Minnesota fans to maybe have that kind of baggage with them when it comes to a lot of these division rivals, I guess, specifically the Packers, especially the Packers, especially <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, And did we just give him the next weapon? That's going to kill us. Yeah. I do feel like though, when people see Christian Watson play the NDSU receiver who is fast, who is big, but was not considered one of the top flight receivers in this draft class that felt like a desperate green Bay franchise that said, we just watched uh, six guys fly off the board in the first 18 picks in the first round and we've got a quarterback that is now missing his top weapon in Devontae Adams and is probably a little eager to see us add somebody. And I think the Packers went on Matt McAfee's show and told the whole world that they had six receivers with first round grades. Yeah, there you go. Presumably <laughs> those six. And I think they even added a couple more receivers today on Saturday in, in these later rounds here, at least one more of them I saw. So they're trying to add help for their offense because the Packers ended up going defense with their 22nd and 28th overall picks. Uh, not unlike the Vikings going defense pretty heavily at the top of this draft class. They trade back from 12 to 32. They take Georgia safety, Lewis seen um, as the fifth Bulldogs defender from that national champion defense, very hard hitting downhill type of player, somebody who might resemble in ways that Harrison Smith can play and seeing them use that pick on a defensive back, seeing them use their next pick at corner on Andrew Booth out of Clemson. And then later on Saturday with their first pick in the fourth round, adding another corner. Um, we all knew that they needed to add help in the secondary, but I think this speaks to the kind of change that's being ushered in under Ed Donatel, where they're going to be playing a lot of nickel, maybe even mixing up these, these sub packages and maybe even some dime, and they're going to need a lot of bodies there. So this isn't a situation I think where you look at the depth chart and think, well, yeah, Lewis Seen's going to start, but that doesn't mean Cam Bynum's not going to be involved. Um, those kinds of things. I think it really speaks to kind of the change that they're looking at here 
uh, on defense. And then also with the linebacker, Brian Osamoa out of Oklahoma, they get him in the third round. He's a coverage linebacker. That is not your yeah. typical Minnesota Vikings mid-round linebacker where you get the the Big Ten run stoppers on first and second down. The uh, glass was, eater type, the Ben <laughs> Gideons, those yeah. types of guys. Uh, so when I yeah, and then when I write about today about um, the Vikings taking the Gopher, uh, Isezi Otum, Otumiwu, I think is Otum. I just butchered that. Usezi Otumiwu, whatever. Um, he's. I'll get that right eventually. Uh, he'll make me get it right. But when I write about him getting drafted, he was the first one since Nate Triplett in 2010. Speaking of glass eating Big Ten yeah. linebackers, it's a so, <laughs> so I, I think we are seeing this difference and. Heading into this, we knew they were going to draft guys that impacted the passing game. And Ben, they leaned really heavily on the defensive side of the ball at the top of this draft. Yeah, they did. I mean, I think that was probably the most obvious way for them to go, though. I do think there was discussion about Jamison Williams. I, I think they looked at the possibility of drafting him when they're sitting there at 12. So, I mean, that part of it. Um is going to be another factor in how all of this is viewed. If you thought about taking him and he turns out to be great and you're instead playing against him every year, then that's going to be another factor in this whole thing. But overall, I think addressing the defense is what we expected. I, the, the biggest need certainly was a corner. You could see a need at edge rusher, which I don't know that they really solved, but they, they did things to help with the linebackers. They added another safety. I think a lot of this is kind of by the book. And to your point about the defense under Ed Donatel, we didn't see a ton of sub packages with Mike Zimmer. It was typically base or nickel, occasionally a big nickel, um, occasionally a three, three, five, you know, every once in a while, but not a lot. It was typically, are you in base? Are you in nickel? We didn't see much dime if any, and that's going to change, I think in a three, four, because you can swap, and that extra piece in the second level a little bit more easily than if you have four down linemen, but it is going to be interesting to watch that because the, if you're looking at the Ed Donatel defense, which is sort of the Vic Fangio thing, or if you're looking at the guys like Mike Pettin, Mike Smith, what they've come from in green Bay, there's all sorts of those, you know, the psycho packages or the, the, uh, you know, Oki, the big Oki packages. I mean, you, you've heard the Packers use a lot of these terms over the years where it's, you know, you might have two down linemen, you might have one, and you can mix and match depending on the situation. So it is going to be interesting to watch all of this and see how they employ all these guys because we haven't seen them play defense like that under Mike Zimmer. And we didn't really see it under Leslie Frazier that much either. That was pretty cookie cutter, I guess, is, and that sounds more pejorative than I mean it to, but, um, there wasn't a lot of variance in it. It was you're playing cover two and that had a lot of pretty hard and fast rules. I mean, they, they have been in fairly traditional defensive schemes and both of them four down fronts for the last 16 years, at least, um, you know, maybe longer than that. I, I suppose you have to go back to trying to remember what they played under Tice and Denny green. And it, that may have been a three, four. I, I don't quite remember, but, Certainly under Childress to Frazier to Zimmer, it's been fairly standard. And I think you're going to see a little bit of a change there. Going back to Jamison Williams for a bit, we, we do know that the one person who was not really considering it or wanting to do it was Quasey because he just said that tonight. Uh, he was 
talking about the situation, maybe it was even to, in response to your question where um, he was saying that, well, you know, we felt like that the Lions would have come up right behind us, given yeah. the pick, given the picks to somebody else and ended up getting the same guy. And he said, the only other way we could have done it is if we would have taken that guy. Yeah. And Quasey said, I didn't feel like that was our route to go. So yeah. even if they considered it internally, that the GM, the head guy, did not want to take Jameson Williams, the Alabama wide receiver, very talented, coming off the torn ACL in the national championship game, did not want to take him at number 12. Yeah, and, and we went back to, I mean, the, the thing he threw out on Tuesday about Keenan McCardle saying, don't take a receiver, please take something else. That was said on Tuesday. I mean, you have to judge that that might have been a smoke screen but yeah I, the fact that he said tonight that we didn't think that was the right thing to do is interesting given what we just talked about in terms of that they at least considered that so um yeah it's gonna be interesting i mean this the real winners in this draft are all of us frankly <laughs> because uh and and probably people that do more sports talk than yeah. we do in the in the traditional sense of did the Vikings win the draft or the Packers win the trade? Uh, are the Vikings going to regret forever giving Christian Watson to Aaron Rodgers? You know all of this kind of stuff. Um, we'll be able to chew on that for years. So uh, the the winners are those looking for things to talk about, which the NFL never fails to deliver. But certainly in this case, they gave the NFC North plenty of that to chew on and if you combine it with last year when the bears go get justin fields after the vikings at least flirted with the idea uh, yeah there's there's subplots galore to take us through most of the rest of this decade in the division there are that's that's a year after the justin fields thing right too so there's back-to-back drafts where um there's going to be in the division a, a maybe potentially star offensive player tied to uh the vikings having chances to take all of them, if that happens with Watson, Williams, or and or Fields. Um, Kevin Seifert's back in the NFC North, and the NFC North's acting like it did when Kevin Seifert was doing that blog for ESPN. All of these, <laughs> these uh, Shakespearean subplots and you know, Favre going here and Favre and Rodgers and all this stuff. It's uh, it's like old times. Um, <laughs> it is. Um, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Um, let's Let's talk about quick what I thought to be the surprise of the draft in the second round or for the Vikings anyway in the second round with their third pick overall in this draft they took a guard Ed Ingram out of LSU um, I was not expecting them to take another interior lineman with a round one two or three pick but they go ahead and do that and then we were talking before the podcast that that reflects pretty poorly and the Asamoah pick to a linebacker who's an inside linebacker it reflects pretty poorly on how they view the 2021 draft class and guys like Wyatt Davis, guys like Chaz Surratt. Um, the Vikings went ahead in free agency and added Jesse Davis, guard, Chris Reed, guard. Uh, you would think they had Wyatt Davis coming into the mix in the second year. Maybe he could compete for a job. They look to be gearing up with pieces and with an already somewhat deep room of admittedly journeymen and unproven guys. Yeah. I didn't think they were going to be adding a, a guard that early. This is the sixth straight year that they have drafted a day one, two, or three offensive linemen. Yeah. So with all that, uh, I think to me that basically says everything you need to know about how they felt about their current options of like, no, we're going to handpick this guy to come in and you don't draft a guy in round two and not expect him to compete for a starting job. 
Right. I mean, yeah, you're when you sit there and think about it, Chaz Surratt probably has an uphill battle to have a spot in the linebacker rotation, I would think. Um, same thing with Wyatt Davis, Patrick Jones. I, I guess we'll see. Um, yeah, maybe he hits and maybe he gets a spot in, in that front seven. Uh, Kellen Mond, I don't know. I don't know that that went terribly well either. So, yeah, those four third-round picks last year, I'm not sure that you'd look at any of those four and say there's a terribly bright future for those guys to have a meaningful contribution. Maybe Kellen Mond ends up being the exception. Maybe he hits and he becomes the, the successor to Cousins. I don't know, but... Yeah, right now, I mean, that that last, really, those last few drafts under Spielman came up pretty short. I think that's a lot of why they ended up where they did, because you had to sign, you bring back veterans like Anthony Barr for a second or third time. You had to bring back guys like Kyle Rudolph, who you had dead money with going forward. You had to, you know, keep probably guys like um, – Harrison Smith, you brought Everson Griffin back a couple times. You just hanging on to all of these pieces that were in their second or third contracts were probably a little bit past their prime. And then you end up eating the dead money because you had picks like Jeff Gladney that didn't hit Mackenzie Alexander, um, you know, Pat Elfline probably to an extent, um, you know, you can kind of go on down the line and, and I'm sure I'm forgetting others. Uh, but that, after that 2015 draft, which really set them up, certainly set them up in 2017 and set them up for a number of years going forward to at least be relevant, their inability to replenish that room with cheap talent, I think is why we're sitting here with a new front office and a new coaching staff, because that those last few classes didn't produce a whole lot for Spielman, other than the obvious receiver that uh, is going to be the next one to get a lot of money in a couple of years. Yeah, they're just going to have to give Kirk Cousins' contract to Justin Jefferson. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, and, too, when we're talking about these defenders, you bring up Patrick Jones, you know, a Troy Dye, 2020 fourth-round yeah, linebacker, yeah. Um, Chaz Surratt. Even if they can play at the NFL Dave level, which, which – Yeah, and even, even if they can play at the NFL level, which we don't totally really know with any of them, um, that doesn't mean that they're fits for what they want to do now. Yeah. And they're going through such, as you mentioned, and detailed um, defensively, such a change in how they want to play. And so with where guys are going to be lining up differently in terms of defensive linemen, edge rushers standing up and rushing, which may fit a DJ Wanham who did that kind of stuff in college, but maybe not a Patrick Jones, maybe not a Janarius Robinson. Yeah. Um, that also reflects it on offense as well. And I wonder if some of these guys that they drafted on offense and especially the line are not fitting what necessarily Kevin O'Connell wants out of that offensive line. I'd asked, we had got their national scout, um, one of the national scouts on a zoom call. And I was just curious about what, how did your guys' job change this year in scouting these offensive linemen compared to previous years? And he had mentioned that, well, now we're more of a mid zone team. And because yeah. we're more of a mid zone versus wide zone team, we need guys who, and he used the old Tony Sperano <laughs> yes. line of basically dent people with yes. not only want guys who can, you know, get out on the edge a little bit, but you're also focusing on guys who can push people off the ball, which was just the thing that the previous offensive lineman could not do. Yeah. And that's why they got caved in and crushed and failed in short yardage, failed in, in goal line situations. 
And so they're changing a little bit of their run schemes and what they want to do on offense. It's not the same kind of wide zone stuff. And so that's why I have a feeling that obviously Garrett Bradbury is not long beyond this year for the Minnesota Vikings. I wonder if Ezra Cleveland, even though they like him, is the kind of guy who can build up and be that kind of guy. And then maybe that's why they bring in Ed Ingram out of LSU uh, instead of relying on these draft picks or any of the other pieces that were just laying around on the interior offensive line. Um, Just these scheme changes are going to make some of their draft picks obsolete, even if it's not totally the draft picks fault, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a part that doesn't fit the, the new model that you're trying to go after it. It's yes. I thought of when he said that, I thought of the late Tony Sperano as well with the, the dent people. Um, Or he didn't use the, he said dent, the ability to dent something, but yeah, it wasn't quite, the way that the late great Tony Sperano put it, but uh, yeah, it, it is. It's so funny because we've seen them go that way where it's, we got to get nasty. We got to bring in Alex Boone to no, we want to play wide zone to we kind of, we want to play zones. We want guys that can move and get to the second level, but we also have to guy have to have guys that have a little more size. And, and we heard them say that last year too, that they want to get a little bit bigger. So they for all of the investments they've made on the line, it's still been this thing of, well, what are we? What can we do with our personnel? Um, you know, it that's another one of those areas that everybody's kind of just trying to clean up after all of the attempts to do it under Spielman. And it's gonna take a while. It it it's gonna be really interesting, I think, to see how this first year goes because there is talent here. Uh, there is also a lot of youth in the secondary and the offensive line. And I think if you're trying to change schemes and retrain players that are probably just starting to figure out what the heck they're doing in the old scheme, I I think of a guy like Cameron Dantzler, um, you're probably counting on him to take a step and be at least serviceable in year three and, and maybe switching up the scheme. And maybe if he's in more zone, it's, it's a little different story. Maybe he doesn't have to turn and run with guys quite as much, which I think probably will help. Um, you know, maybe that's a good thing, but these guys that you have spent two years indoctrinating into one way of doing things, you're now asking to start over. And this happens in the NFL, but it's going to be interesting to see because you still have this kind of core of guys like cousins, guys like Thielen, Harrison Smith, Daniel Hunter, Eric Kendricks, all of these type, these win now type of guys. And you have this win now sort of overarching mandate from ownership, but you have a lot of young guys still that when you're changing philosophies on how you want to block and how you want to cover, um, it's going to be interesting to see how many of those can pick it up quickly because they're going to be counting on a lot of those guys to do it if they want to be successful. I guess this is what a competitive rebuild looks like. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> if, if you're going to put it more succinctly than I just did, that's probably the phrase you would use. As Quasi uh, called it, he said, if you got to label it, yeah, uh, or how marketed, I think he said, if you got to yeah. market it as something, a competitive rebuild. And that's, yeah, we uh, have to label everything. I mean, triangle <laughs> of authority, competitive rebuild. Yeah, we're we're gonna if you throw it out there, we're gonna use it. That's that's how we're gonna do it, Quasi. Um, all right, I want to let's talk quick about the quarterback spot because you, you had mentioned uh, Kellen Mond, and obviously the Vikings don't take one. And really, I was a I we all kind of knew this was a, a bad quarterback class and wasn't thought of as a good one. Certainly, um, Kenny Pickett goes twenty overall to Pittsburgh. He was the only first round quarterback, and then I think. Basically, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, all these guys had to wait until Matt Corral had to wait till I 
think even the third round to start yeah. going again. Um, North Carolina kid went the fourth round today, didn't he? Yeah. Yep. Sam Howell. And so yep. what, I guess, what do you think about just the way that those guys fell and specifically how it reflects on where the Vikings are at at basically standing pat with the entire quarterback group? Well, I mean, I, I think it basically means <laughs> that unless you think Kellen Mond is going to take a big step this year, you're probably talking about Cousins in 22 and 23. Now, I'll, I say that a lot can change, of course. I mean, they could try to get involved with a trade or you know something next year. Something could come up, but you could figure that out. But you don't have the internal successor unless Mond makes a big jump. And Cousins has a no-trade clause, which means he at least is going to have a seat at the table in any discussion about moving him after this year. So the fact that they didn't go get somebody that you could at least develop and, and think about it next year is interesting because I, there's kind of been this sense, at least publicly, as they've talked about it, that's it's kind of this like lukewarm kind of guarded support of Kirk cousins Uh, internally. I, I think at least from what I've heard, Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins have a really good relationship. We've all talked about this, but uh, publicly they have not raved about him to the degree that you would think he's going to be here forever, but their moves have not really done anything significant to uh, put any kindling under his seat, so to speak. I do remember at the combine, I got uh, an inkling that they they were kind of resigned to the fact that they might be, for lack of better words, stuck with Kirk and not just stuck with Kirk in one year, but potentially longer because they had to remedy their financial situation. And here they are with that restructured deal for two more years. Mike McCartney, man. And I'd also heard that they gave Kirk or excuse me, the Kirk's camp gave the Vikings three contract options and they took the one that was the one year extension that came with the no trade clause. So that seemed to be the price of just doing the shortest possible commitment that they had to do to extend Kirk. And as you phrased it, it does seem to be more of a tepid, lukewarm kind of, all right, you know, um, we'll, we'll stick with you. You're our guy for now, as it always is in the NFL yeah. for now. Well, and the thing there too is like, so he's 30, he'll be 34 in August, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so it's not, something where if you felt like this is our guy for the rest of his career that you would feel bad about giving him five more years. I mean, NFL quarterbacks, and certainly we need no greater proof of it than Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, Drew Brees in recent history, but those guys can play into their early forties without much trouble at this point. And cousins has been extremely durable. So if you felt good enough about him, you could have said, here's a five-year deal. And he hasn't wanted to do those, but you could have put that in front of him and said, we're, we want you here as long as, as you want to be here. The fact that they didn't do that and, and stuck void years on it. I mean, you don't stick void years on a deal unless you are expecting to have to get out from under that deal in the near future. And you, and void years are like the best of the bad options. So um the fact there are void years in it at all, I think tell you as much as anything. And and this is true with teams that don't say a lot. This is true with teams that talk a lot and don't really say much of anything. 
which most NFL teams are in one of those two camps. I mean, it's the occasional ones that tell you what they're thinking, but generally you don't get a lot of straight talk from NFL teams. So the rule that I always used with Zimmer was don't listen to what they say, watch what they do, because what they do will typically tell you everything you need to know. And having a contract like Cousins has tells you a lot about how they think about it. But you will not have any challengers, certainly from this draft class or this year. They bring Sean Mannion back to be that backup because that right there in terms of action tells you that they're not even banking on Kellen Mond to be backup ready. Right, right. In 2022. Um, with that, where are the holes still on this roster? I guess you mentioned edge rusher. That to me, I guess, would be the top of the list of spots that they didn't really address. They signed two undrafted free agent edge rushers, but uh, the Gophers defensive lineman projects more of maybe even an interior guy uh, in terms of that five tech three, four defensive end, not necessarily a stand up athletic edge rusher. Um, so with Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith, those are obviously two great ones behind that seems like it's DJ Wanham's uh, job. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. Um, do we, yeah, I mean, do, who do we think is lining up with Dalvin Tomlinson and Harrison Phillips? Do we think it's Armand Watts and that other, I mean, because assuming they're going to go nose in the middle and then probably two five techniques or something thereabouts. Um, yeah, and you could. I, I think Watts could do it. He certainly played well towards the end of last season. But if he's the guy, then you probably figure Wanham's an outside linebacker, right? Yeah, yes. I, I would assume Wanham is going to be that stand-up, more athletic yeah. guy. And they were doing linebacker stuff with him, even with Zimmer. Um, yeah, that's true. He dropped into coverage a fair amount. Yeah, and so I think they were trying to lean toward his athleticism. And he played a 3-4 at South Carolina and did some similar stuff. That might be even a better fit for him than just trying to be that kind of set-the-edge 4-3 defensive yeah. end. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's got to be Watts. And I think Watts then is probably the, the first guy who leaves the field when they go nickel. Um and they, they go four down line then with Harrison Phillips and Dalvin Tomlinson in the middle. Um, and Wanham and, and Hunter on the ends, probably, right? Or Zadarius Smith and, and Hunter. Yeah, or, yeah, you walk Zadarius Smith around somewhere too, I suppose. I mean, you can do different things, but yeah, yeah it, probably something like that. I just think Wanham's got to be that rotational guy. And two, we talked about depth so much about this because we're talking about two, albeit great starters in Smith and Hunter. Played who coming seven games last year. Who are coming off these injuries. Exactly. So can you bank on those guys giving you 17 games each? And if not, who is it going to be? And is it going to be yeah. DJ Wanham, who for all of his effort plays, hasn't shown you a whole lot in terms of being able to beat the man across from him to yep. get after to get after the quarterback. So uh it's it seems a little top heavy at that pass rusher spot because <laughs> the yep. inter interior guys, you mentioned Watts, I think it might have been before. No, it was during the podcast. You had mentioned Watts. Of, he does have some pass rush to him. He's shown it before, um, but certainly not Harrison Phillips, at least from what we know about his time in Buffalo, and not Dalvin Tomlinson really either. So you, you, don't, you still don't have that interior edge rusher, and it'll be interesting to see how they mix those guys around to generate that, not unlike what Mike Zimmer had to do to kind of manufacture that pass rush. Yeah, and they may be more... Well, but the fan, I suppose the Fangio thing is you're not, you're not blitzing like 40% of the time. It's not like, you know, what the Cardinals used to do. Um, and I guess still do in a lot of ways. So, 
I mean, you're probably still trying to rush four and make people beat you just dinking and dunking. I mean, that's that's been the the secret sauce of the Fangio type or even the Brandon Staley type defenses over the last few years is that, yeah, you can score maybe, but you're going to have to do it 10, 12 plays at a time because we're not giving you anything downfield. So, I mean, maybe that helps if the coverage is good, but then your coverage has to be good. And I don't know that, I mean, there's, there's just so many places where they're still crossing their fingers and you're crossing your fingers that Hunter stays healthy, that Smith stays healthy, that Patrick Peterson is still effective, that Cameron Dancer takes a step, that Andrew Booth stays healthy, um, that Harrison Smith is still spry enough to do it at age 33. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of these things that you're you're banking on working that I, it, that feels very much like last year to me. Some of these years in, in Spielman's recent past where it's, we're going to sign this guy and cross our fingers and hope for the best. And maybe the thought process here is, okay, we're going to try this. And if it doesn't work, then we go to ownership and say, all right, we tried it. We didn't blow it up. This didn't work. Now we have to hit the hard reboot button. And that could be a thought process. It's just uh, this year you're, again, I think playing a lot of lottery tickets and the, the lack of help with the edge rush to me was an interesting move. I, I don't, I don't think Anthony Barr is in the plans, but you know, maybe a cheap deal at some point you could think about that, but that's another guy that's had knee issues. So, and he hasn't been able to beat an offensive tackle. So I don't know that I love that either. <laughs> you talked yourself out of that one pretty quick. I did. Yeah, <laughs> because we've seen it all. <laughs> You're right, 100%. I should have covered eight seasons. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a fine player. But is he going to come in and give you – the? I mean, the thing with Anthony Barr is always that people talk about, oh, you know, and the Jets were banking on this. We, break, we put him in a 3-4. He's going to be a 14-sack guy. They have tried every possible way to turn him into a pass rusher. I and mean, we used to watch this where Andre Patterson would have him working out with the defensive ends. And they scrapped the idea pretty quickly because he just he doesn't have secondary moves to beat tackles. It's just I'm trying to run around you and, and out athlete you. And if that doesn't work, then I don't have anything to lean on. So I don't know that him turning into a three, four edge rusher at age 30 is going to be in the cards. We get yeah, that question sometimes if he's coming back. So that's why I bring it up. Yeah, you know, of course. I understand it. And, and especially now as they transition to that 3-4 that he played at UCLA. And he was always uh, his be- at his best as a pass rusher in Minnesota when he could just flat out run through yeah. a, a running back, a tight end. But if he had to go around somebody, he would get stuck in an offensive tackle's navel. A six-foot-five, yeah. six-guy would. Because he just he could not use that you know, what they call that bend or that athleticism to get around a guy. It was always, you had to go through a guy. Um, And I just don't see that being a fit even now as he's older and coming off injuries. Um, He is a free agent though. And so you never know what could happen, but it just doesn't seem like physically he was the same player, even as he kind of got healthier toward the end of last season. Um, You brought up Andrew Booth and I wanted to go back to that because we they, they added a lot of talent in this secondary, certainly. Um, and Booth went healthy. He's a five-star prospect toward at Clemson, played three years there. It was still, even though he was playing through injuries, was still somewhat productive for them. Yeah. Um, 
is really, really talented in terms of being a, of having the ideal size at six feet, having the length, being able to press guys, being able to mirror them and stay down the field from everything you read about him. Um, but he said something that was honest, candid, um, but also somewhat shocking. Things that have changed. Also somewhat shocking when he said, I haven't been pretty much healthy since high school. Yeah. And it was like, what? Come again? Because um, not only that, I think he said his sophomore year of high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's, he's getting to be able. Well, no, I think he said he, no, I'm, I'm mixing that up. He, I think he said he had knee surgery or groin surgery as a, as a sophomore in college. But yeah, I think he did say healthy since high school. Anyway, it's been a while. He has just, it's been one thing after another. He is coming off a core muscle surgery in March. That was actually a second operation to clean up a sports hernia deal that was initially tried to be, that tried to get operated on in April of 2021. Um, he didn't compete in the pre-draft testing because of a quad injury. He said he suffered while training. He underwent knee surgery after the 2019 season at Clemson to fix a patellar tendon issue. Um, it has been one thing after another with his career that is just unfortunate for him, but for a Vikings team that could use his talent, but needs it on the field. Um, that one was kind of taken aback a little bit of like, okay, we see why now he fell to 42nd overall. Yeah. The Vikings trade up to get him as those corners started coming off the board in the second day of the draft. Um, they're going to need him. And if he's healthy, he, he can be a great player, but Ben, that's such a risky pick. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's uh, it's certainly a guy that they are going to have to count on. I think. I mean, you're you're going to need more than two of those guys. And Shannon Sullivan's probably your slot guy. I mean, maybe you can move him outside. But I mean, do you feel like Shannon Sullivan is like the stick him out there on an island type? Probably not. I mean, they've. They've seen enough of him in Green Bay to kind of know what he is and what he's not. I mean, he's, he's fine, but I don't think you're going to have him go out and, and suddenly take his game to a new level. So you're going to need either Dantzler or Booth to be really good, and you're going to need those guys to be on the field, which has been a question with Dantzler as well. So, it, yeah, it's they need him. They need Booth to come in quickly and be effective, but – yeah, it's a lot to ask for a rookie corner. It's a lot to ask a rookie corner that's had injury issues. Um, and it, it reminds me a little bit of some of the stuff you heard with Darisol last year, that he slid because everybody was worried about that groin issue. And there were tons. I think some teams, at least from what I had heard, that had said, we ain't touching this guy. And the Vikings obviously felt good enough about it. And if that's in Darisol's past, then you get a left tackle for the next 10 years, then great. You, you deal with the short-term issue and you're fine. But uh, with Booth having had as many injuries as he's had, it is a, it's a gamble. There's certainly an element of that, that you're hoping for the best and, and hoping that you got some value there because of the injuries. And maybe you saw something that other people didn't and you, you'll get lucky, but yeah, there's a risk to that. No doubt. Do you think that reflects a little bit of what they're doing under Quasey here in this draft where Quasey seems to be embracing more of that high upside variance in yeah. outcome, whether it's a guy like Booth, um, I'm thinking about um, some of the day three picks that they took running back in Ty Chandler out of North Carolina, who is just super fast, you yeah. know, that kind of home run player, Jalen Naylor, wide receiver out of Michigan state, another track fast, guy. another fast guy, track guy um, who as what did the, uh, uh, I think Quasey said Keenan McCardell 
referred to him as you want a guy who can ring the bell, meaning score touchdowns. Yeah. And that's what Naylor did at Michigan State in various ways. So they're just trying to hit these kind of higher variance guys of like, you're going to have a speed or a skill set that is somewhat rare. And if we need to polish that up along the way, we're just going to try and figure out how to do it. Or with in Booth's case, he seems to be more of a complete package, but that risk being the injury stuff. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think, and you certainly saw that at times with Spielman too, where it was, they want athletes, they want guys that had more of a, a skill set than a polish, I guess. I mean, you didn't see a lot of times where it was, man, this guy is as good as he's going to get and he can play right away. I mean, there, there was certainly that emphasis with Spielman too, but yeah, I think there's, there's more of a focus that way. I was going to say they did have a mixture because there were the Kentrell brothers picks where it was, yes. he, he's just productive at Mizzou. So we need a special team or we'll bring him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there were, there were probably I'm trying to think if they had anybody. Oh, I'm trying to think now who was the guy that <clears throat> felt like the, because we've just watched for so long it being done one way. Um, were there guys today that we felt like, this is a Spielman pick. I mean, in terms of like, we, we didn't see them take an off ball linebacker ninth overall or, or something like that, but. Uh, no, I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, they did, they often did, they often did the um, draft late round tight ends, late round wide receivers. So with the scouting staff and personnel staff being mostly in place, Same. yeah, um, we are still seeing some of those trends continuing day, day one, two or three offensive linemen. Um so some of those positional trends were continuing, but in terms of like the old school, yeah, we're going to trade up for a running back or we're going to, uh, yeah, draft a big 10 linebacker who's good on first and second down. We didn't see much of that. I think the top, 18th overall, the top of this draft was very pass game oriented on defense and in the end uh, with the Ed Ingram pick, because apparently he was pro football focuses top rated sec interior lineman, uh, as a pass protector last year. So they are focusing more on that side of things with the game, which seems to be uh, more of a whole focus. I'm not saying the Spielman regime didn't do that, but they deviated more from that at times uh, if they felt there was a talent. Um, that, that, that Packers draft felt more like a Spielman draft, where yeah. it's the at least the first day, where it's Devontae Wyatt and it's Quay Walker, two interior defenders yeah. uh, with your first-round picks who, yes, they might have been the top-rated players on your board at the time, but what is the highest value they can possibly give you yeah. uh, through a 10-year career? Is it going to be what is worth a 22nd and 28th overall pick? I kind of raised my eyebrows at those a little bit, and I'm, I'm sure Aaron Rodgers did too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it depends on what you're hoping to get, I suppose, because if you're looking at those guys as 10-year players, that's a lot to spend on a guy that isn't going to you know, be a, a – difference maker type guy. I mean, if, if you're looking at a guy that has to come in and, and play that way, then maybe it, it's probably not good value. If, if you look at first Trump picks as we get five years out of them and it's cheap, then I, I can see it that way. But if you're looking, if you see every first round pick as this is a franchise cornerstone for the next decade, then yeah, those picks are probably not um, going to deliver that type of a thing. I, I do think, that defense just from front to back and it got a lot better last year too, but that looks like it could be a pretty good. I mean, the weirdest part of this whole thing is if you look at the four defenses in the NFC North right now, 
that's probably the best one, isn't it? Oh boy. Yeah. No, Chicago totally got ripped down. Uh, right. They're, yeah. They've, they're looking like that Will Smith uh, gift from Fresh Prince where he's just standing in an empty room. <laughs> um, yeah. And then Detroit, I guess they did add a lot and they were actually fairly decent last year, but yes, I totally agree with you because green Bay has got the proven talent that they kept. They did get rid of Zedaria Smith, but he didn't play for them last year. Anyway. Um, Sean Gary got a lot better. Preston Smith. I mean, we'll see if Preston Smith does that again, but Kenny Clark's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So I totally agree with you. I think green Bay right now on paper has the best defense, the Vikings. I'm just, I need to see how this kind of all comes together in the secondary. Uh, If Andrew Booth can stay healthy and be the kind of guy that he, thought he was, or people think he is in terms of being a possible first round pick when healthy um, with Lewis seen back there seen as a safety. We talked a lot about Kyle Hamilton, potentially at 12 overall, he ends up going 15 to the Ravens. The Vikings passed up on him. They didn't clearly didn't view him as worth that 12th overall pick, but they still went safety anyway in the first round. Speaking of positional value, I do wonder about that one. If, if this is just a hard hitting safety, I guess Harrison Smith was a great pick, but I don't know. I just, I wonder if he's going to be able to have that kind of impact uh, from that draft position that you hope for, but maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing there too, is Kwesi says we were thinking he was one of the players we were thinking about taking in the teens. I mean, had they done that and maybe they figured they didn't need to do that, but had they done that, that would have been especially like, okay. Um, Rick, are you still back there pulling the levers? I mean, because <laughs> if you if you were thinking about him, and maybe they didn't like Kyle Hamilton as much as as it would have seemed like they would. I don't know, but um, that one, yeah, especially if they had done it like traded back to sixteen or seventeen or something, and taken him, uh, that would have definitely been probably more of a head scratcher. I I like the pick. I mean, it, just at least watching him on film, it seems like he can come in and. I mean, he's a, a heck of an athlete. I mean, the some of the relative athletic scores with him, that was the pick that probably popped off the most in terms of the 40 time and the size and um, being able to move the way he does as a safety. It's it's impressive. But, um, yeah, in terms of a guy that's going to change the game, it's hard to get that out of a safety, I think. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they use him, how Ed Donatel deploys him in this kind of defense, especially with Harrison Smith, who's already considered kind of more of a box safety at this point of his career as well. Um, all right, before we let everybody go, I do want to mention that Quasi Odofo Mensa wraps his first draft with six draft day trades. That is still not, even though Vikings fans want to know if Rick's still pulling the strings, that still didn't hit Rick's high watermark with the Vikings. He had seven draft day trades in 2017. So Quasi has some work to do if he wants to live up to the Trader Rick mantra. He is still very much the apprentice to the. He also uh, only took one player in the seventh round and <laughs> traded up in the seventh round, not traded back. So <laughs> the fact that they were done by yep. pick two twenty three or whatever two twenty three or two twenty seven, whichever it was, um, we got the undrafted free agent lists the night of the draft, which is clearly a strategic error um, because you need to hide those guys to make sure that nobody else picks them up. Um, you know, just a lot of, uh, a lot of things that didn't follow in the, in the legacy of uh, how championships are won. Such a rookie mistake, letting yeah. everybody know right away, which undrafted free agents are going to sign. Rick would have held that onto that until Monday at noon. Yep. I'll bet, you know what, I'll bet you too, when they cut the roster down, 
he's going to make a mistake there too. He's going to tell us pretty quickly who the final 53 <laughs> is. Might even come on and talk about it. Um, you know, you, you just can't win that way in the NFL. Oh, so you can't. You can't. we'll see if they can overcome it. Lots to overcome. <laughs> you had to sneak your 65th best player onto that practice squad. Yes. The slop at the end of our roster is better than the slop at the end of everybody else's roster that everybody has scouted four times <laughs> when we're looking at practice squad additions, undrafted free agents. Um, you you got to hide it because that's, that's, that's why the banners are in U.S. Bank Stadium. That's why, that's why all the banners are hung. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, guys. Thank you for checking out this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Please check out startribune.com and pick up a newspaper while you're at it.